This is the place where sports opinions collide, dead in sports. I'm your host, Kenneth B. Inge. Joining me, we got Nikki Ducey. What's going on? New Mike Nick. I've been telling me I sound like trash or shit. I'm going to record a mixtape after this, too. All right, we got Shelton J. What's going on, man? How you doing? Chilling. BZ430. What up, though? And FIFO 24-7, as I mentioned earlier, will be on the way in a few minutes. So, yeah, as, as uh, I'm, well, I didn't mention, but I want to say now that this episode will be focusing on the uh, NFL draft. Uh, for those of you that, was, that were with us Thursday, we, what was it, Friday? It was uh, Thursday night. Thursday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 Friday. Okay, yeah. So Thursday, we... Um, recapped the first round live of the NFL draft. So um, obviously there were six more rounds after that, and we're here to discuss some of those picks, um, the draft overall, and then we'll get into the last dance, uh, episodes three and four um, recap. So, all right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started. All right, so NFL draft recap. Um, I was going to ask y'all, did, uh, as far as the first round or even just in general for each franchise, was there a team that kind of just stood out to you as far as their picks? Yes. Um, I think the Dallas Cowboys' first round pick was incredible. C.D. Lamb is going to be a monster, and to pair him with Amari Cooper is going to be incredible for me. I think that, that he was one of my favorite players coming into the draft. And for them to get him, I think they got him at 17 was ridiculous. I, I didn't see that happen. Also, the Cardinals with, with Simmons, they they got a steal too. So you got two monsters in the first round, one on offense, one on defense. And I think those guys are going to be some some stars down the stretch. What about the rest of their selections for those teams? Or did you pay attention to that? I did. Let me look back at Dallas for a second. Um, Because for me, I'm sorry. I was gonna say for me, I would say that like I really did like Arizona's draft in total because, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, they got uh, Simmons, which I really wanted the Giants to get, but they went offensive tackle, which I can't really argue against. But if you look at what what else they did as far as they went offensive line in the um, in the third round, because remember they gave up their second round pick for Hopkins. Right. That's another. That's another addition to the team. And then they also uh, – they went defensive tackle, linebacker. They really went defensive heavy, and then they ended the draft on a running back. I, I, I to replace maybe David Johnson, but I really like their draft, and I like the talent they surround in Kyler Murray. I do too. I, you know, Benjamin, actually, his seven-round draft pick was one of my favorite running backs in college, rather. I watched him at Arizona State a couple games. And he, was, he was a beast in college. I guess his, his numbers don't line up, but as far as his playing ability – that guy could push the rock in college. He was he was a really good running back in college. Um, as far as Dallas, I like the second round pick too because they got Diggs in the second round, uh, the corner from Alabama, uh, Stephon Diggs' brother, mm-hmm. and he was a solid corner. He could play a little safety too. So yeah, you were talking I, about him that night. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that Dallas did. Dallas had a, a a hell of a draft. So did Miami. Um, I like what Miami did too. 
with, with just about all their picks, and they had a ton of picks. Plus, they got Matt Breida. Matt Breida may have a breakout year this year. He, he, he was pushing that rock in San Francisco. He had a lot of other backs to share the ball with. I think he ended up with like 600 yards. But to pick him up for a fifth-round pick, they won. Do you think that was talent or scheme? What's that, for Matt Breida? For Breida, yeah, and when he was with the Niners. A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I like what he did, and I think with Ballas still there, that's a nice little thunder and lightning type punch type thing because he was quick before he got hurt. So I think Breida I think Breida going to be all right. Yeah, I just wonder if he'll be able to replicate what he did in, uh, in Miami, um, not being in that that – scheme that Shanahan called um, on, the, on the court does, I mean, on the field. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we've seen Kenya Drake there and we've seen Ballage, who I think his longest run last year was like eight yards out of mm-hmm. 70 some carries or more, which is not good. But, you know, we'll no. see. He has the talent, but, you know, I think you have to line that up with, with um, what the coach is going to call. So. Right. And, and we'll see. Hopefully, with, with like I said, with both of them there, and they they shored up the offensive line a little bit. Hopefully, that'll help out. Plus the scheme, and I, I hope that they they scheme for him and, and make some make some things happen with him. You just need ballast for short yardage, but mm-hmm. hopefully, Breeder with his speed can make some things happen. I don't think Drake had enough time in this system with the new coaching staff to say whether they could have used him correctly or not, and maybe they would have take something from the playbook from San Francisco for Breida and incorporated into the offense. So we'll see what happens. What about you, Ken? What did you thought? Uh, remind me the question one more time. I'm going to put some. As in. far as like a team that stood out to you as far as their, like their overall draft or even just, just a, a round that you really like. Um, I mean, I got to go with, with Tampa Bay, man. Um, they're all in on Brady. And it was really interesting to watch Arians and all of them, like, make all of these moves to, to win a Super Bowl uh, in the next two years, you know, to get a, a, a tackle, um, to move up to get a tackle, actually. So, um, so I thought what they did um, what was really interesting um, overall. Um, if I had to think of another team – uh, I had one, but I can't remember what it was. I, um, but I, I'll pass it to B. I, you can come back to me. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, be to be really honest, I I wasn't following the draft closely like that. Um, at the time of the draft, I was in the middle of in the pro, in the middle of recording Dead End Game, and you can check that out wherever you get your podcast. Um, and also follow us on Twitch, uh, Dead End Game and ATL. But um. Only thing I really was plugged in, of course, was who Detroit Lions was getting. Like I was, I had like a ticker, I had, a t- I had a ticker alert on my phone where like every time the Lions had a draft, I would you know see who they drafted, who they who they got at at their at their respective picks, and um you know yeah you 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 had to get a what's it Jeff Oka Okada from uh, Okuda, Okuda yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I mean he was clearly the the maybe the best player in in a position that we needed, of course, because a Sly, a Sly is gone. Um, so we had to kind of refit. We had to fill that position. He was a, Sly was our, our shutdown corner. 
So you know you had to you got to had to refill that uh, spot. Um, I'm I'm kind of I'm hoping I'm hoping Swift. You know Georgia that's they, Georgia is always known for running back school. They always produce solid running backs that that go into pros and have pretty good you know pro pro years um pro career. So I'm glad we got uh, DeAndre Swift because he he I think he was coming off an injury. Either he was injured this past year or the year before he had a season ending injury I believe, but he was their horse and like. I think if he can come in Detroit and, and be that guy for us, man, like that would be dope as hell. I'm glad picks uh 75 and 121 rounds three and four. I'm glad we went offensive line heavy because we definitely needed uh, offensive linemen. I was actually I would have been fine if our maybe first round or maybe well not three. You probably can't pick an O line at three unless you just got a stud. But like in the second round, I would have been happy if we had picked the O line in the second round because. I was really saying that's what we need. We need to really rebuild and restructure that offensive line because Matthew Stafford was getting banged up too much, and he he was not getting protected. So we definitely – I'm glad we went O-line. And, of course, like, you know, the quiet ones, we got uh, my man Jason Huntley. I remember seeing him a few times uh, in New Mexico State. So, he, you know, he might be a good a good, a good flex, back to, a flex back to have. And then we went a uh, defensive tackle with our uh, last with our last picks with Utah. Um, John Pasini, Pasini or whatever his name, John something. And then uh, Jason Cornell from Ohio State. And we picked somebody else. Yeah, we went Ohio State heavy on this draft because even yeah, our, I, I, our defensive lineman that we picked that we picked up, I think he was a guard. Uh, he's from he's from Ohio State. So yeah, man, we went we went we went heavy with Ohio State. I don't know much about Wisconsin. Uh, Cortez. Sim- Simpas from uh, Wisconsin. I don't really know much about him. I saw we drafted him. He's a wide receiver. But they gave him they gave him a B plus in the in the, in the uh, draft grade, and they gave our sixth round pick uh, John Pen Penicini. They gave him an A minus. So yeah, I hope I hope some of these guys pan out to do to to produce for the Lions, man. Especially those those offensive linemen, man. The offensive linemen and Swift. That's what I'm looking at because I've been I've been we've been itching. For like a really solid running game, man. For the last hell since our our Megatron years, we have been itching for a back. So I feel like hopefully Swift can kind of be that difference maker for us as far as the running game. He won't. <laughs> hey, hey, it's wishful thinking, Ken. Wishful thinking. Wishful I know, thinking. but they've drafted what people have thought were good running backs before, and just exactly to do anything with them. Now, I don't know if any of the ones in the past were as talented as Swift is. So, um, so we'll, we'll see. Johnson was good, though, right? Who? Yeah, he just can't stay healthy. Oh, uh, yeah, he had a good rookie year, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just he can't stay and healthy. And he disappeared the next year. Yeah, yeah. FIFA, what, what are your thoughts on Miami's draft? Man, I think Miami did exactly what they were supposed to do. Um, they got Tua, they got an offensive tackle, they got a couple weapons, and they got defense. Um, like I was saying during the draft special, um, you know, Miami's just one of those teams that need as many bodies with talent as possible. Um, I think that they did that, especially I, I think at the end of the first, they moved down a couple of times as well and got additional draft picks. So I, I'm not going to be as detailed as be and tell you all of these players that they drafted by name and all of that. But I just think overall they did they did what they were supposed to do. I really, uh, I really like the um, the Bengals draft. 
Um, and also the Giants, of course. I'm a huge fan of those. But the Giants went heavy on defense and offensive line, which I'm cool with, especially when you've got to think about the young guy, Daniel Jones, and we got Saquon Field. And our defense needs secondary help, so that's what we, we got a lot of that. Um, and then the Bengals, they got a lot of good linebacker uh, depth. And we got a couple of steals, I believe, especially uh, the wide receiver from Clemson, how he fell into the second round. I was surprised by that, um, which leads me to my next question as far as with the uh, the teams that we maybe overdrafted a, a player or maybe made a, just a, a weird pick. Was there any other team for y'all that y'all were like questioning, like, why the hell did you draft this player? Because I know for me it was definitely the Eagles. Hold up, Nick, because you wasn't happy during draft day about that old lineman now. Point in Simmons, but at the same time, we need help on the offensive line. I, uh, I'm, I'm never uh, that displeased when a, a team drafts an offensive lineman, especially if they're really highly rated. Um, just for the fact that you always need depth at the position, just like you do on the defensive line, just like you at a linebacker. So I didn't want him at that at that slot, but at the same time. With the way the rest of the draft went, it made sense because I think Gettleman wants to really compete this upcoming season and not really just continue to build on for the next couple of years. Hey, hey, Nick, how you feel about them getting uh, – do you feel like they didn't mess up that first pick, that number one overall pick? Oh, the Bengals? Nah, that was a no-brainer. And, like, looking at everybody's uh, responses to that uh, pick, everybody was like, that. they don't even grade it because it was just like a no-brainer. Like, they didn't even give them really an A – or anything, because it was just like he's the best quarterback prospect in the draft, at least for right now. We'll time will tell. But I think Burrow is is a. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does. I'm more excited about Zach Taylor and how he will scheme around him. I like the wide receiver pickup from the second round, just for the fact that they. I've heard that they've been working out before the whole pandemic, um, training together and uh doing passing drills together, and along with, uh, I think, T.J. Houston has been watching them as well uh, and helping out. So I really like that connection. Obviously, it's, I think, insurance for if A.J. ever goes down again or if he leaves after this year, which most likely he will, um, it gives us that security and insurance that we have another big guy, that can, a young guy on a rookie deal that can go out and get it. Look, I'm not wishing no ill will on Joe Burrow. <laughs> But I think he's going to struggle, especially year one. I mean, I'm, not a, I'm expecting six, five wins. So five, six, five, six and ten? Yeah, uh, yeah, six and ten, five, eleven, something that shows that we've increased. we got too much talent in multiple positions to not win some games, especially now that um, I feel like the, the AFC has kind of gotten a little dispersed a little bit. It's, it's a lot top-heavy. It's just To me, it's just the Chiefs, the Ravens. That's pretty much it. Do you, feel, do you feel like – how you feel about, like, the coaching like the coaching staff as far as getting these – putting these players in position to, you know, to kind of take a somewhat of a step forward? I, I think Zach Taylor I, – I, I, it's kind of hard to grade his first year because he's a, he was in a new – his resume doesn't really back up as far as his experience. So I'm hoping he learned a lot from last season and this season. I really like what they did in the draft because um, they did address some needs. 
But I want to see how he schemes around that. I want to see what he's learned from Sean McVay or what he's learned from just period throughout his uh, coaching uh, tenure to see what he does because he has the talent. And that was the big issue with Marvin Lewis. It was like the Bengals are good at getting talent, but can they scheme around it? And I think a young guy like Zach Taylor, I'm just leaning into that optimism of he can do something. Let's hop into one of the other highly uh, discussed things that happened this weekend. Obviously, the the last dance, the third and fourth episode premiered last night. Um, man, it, it focused mostly on Dennis Rodman and B's favorite uh, sports team of the '80s, '90s, uh, the, the Detroit Pistons, <laughs> the bad boy era. What what were y'all thoughts of of just the third and fourth episode? Third and fourth episode. So I watched them this morning. Um, man, I, I, I remember them talking about Dennis Rodman during the uh, the Bad Boys documentary, man. And and basketball definitely saved that brother's life, um, gave him an opportunity that he otherwise wouldn't have happened. Um, he had his head on straight in certain areas, knowing not to get involved with you know, the drugs and stuff like that. But, you know, to see him go from where he was to basically like a, a megastar um, was great. And I think that was a great story, man, but he was troubled. And we saw that, uh, you know, when he, you know, sounded like he was contemplating suicide because it didn't, basketball didn't give him everything that he needed when it came to his uh, mental health. But, um, but he was right fit for the for the Bulls and um it wasn't a lot of new information outside of the 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 vacation right um, that was the only thing that was pretty much new <laughs> yeah so um so outside of that which I thought was interesting and maybe we'll talk about that too um but I, I found the field thing really interesting myself because I thought that you know him going from being a second round pick to a role player to being infatuated with like Indians, Native American culture and stuff like that. Like Dennis Robin and him were the perfect pairing because Phil was a hippie. <laughs> so he got with the perfect person that understood his mentality for, because Phil somewhat was an outsider himself. And also how Pippen and Jordan and the Bulls team just really allowed Rodman to be who he is as long as he did his job and they allowed him to breathe. And I thought that that was really, really dope, man. We are so into every single aspect of these players' lives now more than ever. And seeing Dennis Rodman and MJ, who got the first Kevin Durant treatment when they were talking about his retirement, they asked him over and over again to see Dennis get fed up with the media and tired of that and how they just want to play the game. Um, I love hearing because we're so invasive or the media is so invasive. Um, but overall, I, I thought it was good. And I found the Detroit stuff even more riveting, but I'll uh, close my, in my thoughts with that. Yeah, for me, um, Dennis Rodman, I, I think the, the, the main thing that he said um, that really made you pause 
think about his impact was when he said, you know, obviously, you know, Scotty and, and, and Michael are number one and number two, but without him, they don't win a championship. And you saw it when, um, when, when, when Horace Grant moved on, they didn't have Dennis at the time and they were losing to those teams. You know, you saw the impact what Dennis Rodman had and what he meant to that team. Um, obviously we always knew that he had a couple screws loose and, you know, I think it always takes, I, I think, I think this, this phrase is the juice worth the squeeze. And, and in Dennis Rodman's case, it was 100%. You're talking about a guy that was dominant defensively, a Hall of Famer, a guy that if he didn't have the individual accolades, probably wouldn't have been a Hall of Famer, but multiple rebounding titles, defensive player of the year, all of these type of things, man. Um, you just saw how valuable that is, especially the way that the Bulls were constructed and we're having, again, you know, alluding to what Ken was saying, with a coach that understands different players. And it shows, I, I think a lot of it had to do with Phil as well, understanding what, what buttons to press, when to press them, you know, and, and understanding how to motivate everybody differently. And I always talk about that, you know, like you can't treat everybody the same. You got to treat people different because you got to understand people, all, everybody's individual. So I think um, also the Detroit thing, I, and obviously we're going to let B go into that, but how how instrumental that was in making Michael Jordan who he was, right? Like, because obviously he had all the talent in the world. He had all of the drive and work ethic in the world. But, you know, the fact that he felt he needed to dish punishment as well, um, that's all because of Detroit. And he became a bigger, stronger version of himself, more calculated, more um, emotionally controlled, not just him, but the entire team because of that. So I, without Detroit, there would be no Chicago. And that's, again, why I always say that young players need three to five years. In the playoffs, you need to get your ass whooped. And that's the prime example. If Detroit didn't whoop Chicago's ass like that, they wouldn't be who they were. And all young teams need to experience what the feet taste like so that way you can overcome that. And then the championship and all of the accolades, they taste so much better. But, man, amazing documentary. I will say before uh, Shelton Obigo, uh, I did like that they show that Dennis Rodman's rebounding a defense wasn't an accident. Nah. Like, he studied that aspect yeah. of the when game. When he was that breaking was when he was breaking down how he read the ball where it comes off the rim and stuff, I'm like, yo, mm-hmm. that yep. shit. It just, it just makes sense why he was such a rebounding. He was so great at what he did and rebounding the ball, man. Because that shit was, man. He was like, yeah, I know if I come here and it comes this way, then I know. Like, I yeah. was like, damn, and, that and, shit, and, I never thought rebounding can sound so technical until Dennis yeah. Rodman broke that shit down, man. That shit was crazy. I remember one of my coaches talking to him about that, and he was saying the same thing as a science. And it was not just how the ball bounced when you shoot it. It's who was shooting the ball, yep. where the ball was going to bounce to. So that that's so in-depth. You know what I'm saying? That's some, that's some next-level type studying right there. And not only did he study, he was relentless. So you put those two together, and you get a monster. And that's exactly what, what uh, Dennis was. He was a monster. And who else would, like – ask for like their friends to just come to a shoot around just to shoot and then just get rebounds. And so he can understand the mathematics or not even just mathematically, schematically how balls bounce. Like who, who, like who really pays attention about rebounding like that? Even though we all know how important it is from an offensive and defensive perspective, but like, yeah, that's just pure. I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's, It's genius because not only did, you know, 
he, he just took one element of the game and said, I'm going to dominate. You know, I try to apply that in my daily life. I'm going to dominate in this area. This one area, I'm going to dominate in. No, I ain't going to win the scoring title. But I'm going to win the rebounding title. And I'm going to make a name for myself and make myself valuable by mastering the skill. And that's exactly what he did. Yep. Yep, 100%. Oh, um, and I also wanted to add this. Uh, I think it was Ken or B that was talking about the music. I, I was paying attention to the music, and that was yeah. actually super dope. How they, yeah. how they were playing music of those of that era of those, of that year. So that Prince, yeah. B, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you just get just go off uh, for a minute. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question. <laughs> go ahead. I want to ask you a question about Dennis Rodman since it's it's very interesting that he played. He helped get the, the, the Pistons their titles and the Bulls their second three-peat. Mm. What were your thoughts of Dennis in between that trade or when he moved to a, to the team that you probably hated the most? Uh, you talking like Dennis when he was at the Spurs and all that stuff? Like When he left uh, the Pistons and he ended up with the Bulls. He went to the Spurs. Yeah, he, he went to the Spurs. But then when but I'm talking about when he, when he ended up on the Bulls, how did you feel about him then? Or did you did you see the writing on the wall then like, oh, he's going to help the uh, win the title? Uh-uh. I mean, I, I wasn't feeling no type of way because, I mean, at that point we knew NBA players was going to, you know, at that point was going to start moving around. Or, like, as you know, once he left us, I wasn't like, oh, please don't go to Chicago. Please don't go to Chicago. It wasn't nothing like that. But it was just like, well, you know, he went to San Antonio. It didn't work. He ended up with the Bulls. I, I mean, I didn't see that three-peat, but I was just like, you know, he's going to definitely help them out. You know, he's going to definitely help the Bulls out a lot because they were lacking in rebounding when they got him, you know, especially with Horace Grant going to the Orlando Magic. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't feel no I, – I, me personally, I wouldn't feel no type of way that he went to Chicago out of all teams. Now, I probably would have if it was in the middle of, like – if it was right after they lost, if when we got swept by the Bulls in 91 and he went to Chicago, like that way, it would have been different. Now, I probably would have felt some type of way, but – I mean, it was years later. We were we were in our rebuild. We had Green Hill, and we had some. We had a few horrible years during the nineties with them teal jerseys. So I mean, I didn't feel no type of way with Robin going to the Bulls, man. I, I really didn't. I didn't feel no type of way. It didn't bother me. What did you think about as far as that? The fourth episode mostly clear, uh, discusses the Bad Boy Pistons era, and especially the the, the scenes between Isaiah and Mike, as far as uh, from an interview standpoint. What were your thoughts on that? Oh, I thought that shit was dope. I mean, I, I mean, of course, because this is something that I witnessed, I lived through. Like, I, I saw this shit firsthand. I mean, you know, well, watching the games and shit live with my dad firsthand and all that shit. Like, that's what I mean. Not like actually in the locker room. But yeah, man, I, I mean, I thought it was dope. I, of course, and, I, and I've said this on Dead End Sports plenty of times, even when we used to record on video. Like, it's funny how, like, everybody is pinning Isaiah, you know, is this horrible person or Detroit Pistons as this horrible team when the Boston Celtics did the exact same thing. Actually, they left the court before the game was over. They left. Bird, Mikhail, like, Mikhail kind of, Isaiah grabbed Mikhail and then Mikhail told him, you know, don't just go there and win it, and he dapped him up. But Boston left because they knew it was the passing of the torch, just like what FIFO said about Jordan had to get through us to be great. We had to get through Boston. Like, we had, like, when I was watching the Pistons, I knew when we played Boston, I'm like, fuck, we got to deal with that big three. We got to deal with that big three. And I knew once we got past Boston, it was, we was, we was, it was, we was, we was, we was the kings of the East at that point. Like, Boston knew it. 
That's why they walked off the court. Now, the funny thing that people don't fail to mention too, and, and my dad brought this to my attention too, um, when you know, when we was talking about it like some years ago, or whatever, that um and he still got that paper. My dad still got that paper. But when Chicago Bulls had us down 3 0 in ninety one, Mike, Phil, Scotty, all of them started talking about how like Detroit Pistons was just bad for the NBA, bad for, you know, just bad for basketball and all that stuff. So that's and I mean, you know, I know as a C Detroit, we felt some type of way about that. Like how you gonna like y'all motherfuckers ain't won no championship yet. Like we 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 are back to back champions. We, who 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 the nerve of y'all motherfuckers gonna talk to us talking about why are we for the NBA? So, yeah, that walk-off was kind of, like, justified, like, where, you know, not in the grand scheme of things because I forgot about the way Chicago Bulls was talking shit to us when they had us up 3-0. And, uh, yeah, so that walk-off was, was – I think if, if, if Michael Jordan and Fielding wasn't saying what they said to us about that, we probably would have dapped them up or probably would have still walked off the court anyway. But, yeah, I just want to put that in perspective. Like, that's, the, like, some backstory of why – we walked while they walked off the court against uh, after they after after we got swept by the Bulls. But yeah, man, and people talking about Isaiah still bitter. Jordan clearly said, "I still hate him." Like, so if 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 you saying the Bulls and Isaiah and them some bitches because we still hate Michael Jordan, Jordan said the same thing. So where's that same energy? All I want is the same energy. Like if, yeah. if them gotta have all that. Give me that same energy against Bird when Bird and Celtics and them walked off on the court, you know what I'm saying, before the game was over, and give me that same energy that saying Zeke is bitter. Jordan, give me that same energy towards Jordan. Say B, Jordan is bitter too. I just B, want right. opportunity. If, 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 right. if Zeke a bitch, call Jordan a bitch. Call Bird and them a bitch too, if I'm <laughs> concerned. That's all I want. Hey, you're right, man, and I owe you an apology for that because I was on that same train. I was – when Jordan is bitter like that, I'm like, he's a competitor. And that's how he's supposed to be. But right. you're right. I looked at Zeke and them like some old bitches. I really did. Yeah. So you're right. You're right. It's like, yeah, if you want if you want to call Zeke bitter, call Jordan bitter. Jordan was a punk ass for, for snitching and, and not having Isaiah on the dream team. Like, if you want to call, like, uh, just give me the same energy. It wasn't just MJ, though. I know, I know it wasn't, but he was a part of it, though. I mean. They all were, though. I know, I know, but I'm just saying. But, like, if you're calling Zeke bitter, why not? I just want the same energy for everybody else. Give me the same energy for everybody hey, else. You, you think it would have been different if Zeke hadn't froze Jordan out that year? Would everything be different right now? I, did he really? I think that's still a room. I mean, nothing was really actual factual about him freezing him out in the All-Star game. I don't I mean, unless unless Zeke or Jordan or they or they said it themselves, like yeah, we was trying to freeze them out. I, I'm not gonna believe that he he say she say. I, I got I need some factual for that. That yeah, was. Just, I, I just know. wonder why. Um, like, like for instance, we're gonna take Moneyline Mark, who clearly, I guess maybe he don't like Detroit, or maybe he's a heavy MJ fan, but he didn't say anything about the Celtics when you pointed out the Celtics did the same thing to the Pistons. In the chat, by the way. Right, right. Like I know he watched. If he some holes, say bird some holes. Say, yep. say, give me, say bird some holes. Yep, exactly. Same energy. So, money line mark. If that's how you feel, then uh, apply that across the board, my brother. And you know it is what it is. But people are so enamored and so in love with with MJ that they overlooked um, the storyline, and, and and it wasn't always necessarily MJ. It was something about the Pistons. Think, and think about it like this, Ken. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to cut you off. Like, no, you're good. Like, yeah, like, so, like, say if somebody 
about to beat you and they and they degrading your name or degrading you and stuff and then the, you play the game i mean technically i wouldn't i wouldn't shake i'm not gonna shake your hand after you didn't talk shit about me after you after you degrading me and shit you my character and then saying i'm bad for the nba and i'm and i'm and, and, like that yeah that's crazy i mean I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say fuck you too like i'm, I'm just gonna walk past uh, and i'm just speaking just if for me i'm just speaking for busy like if someone was degrading me or degrading my name or whatever you think I'm gonna go, I'm gonna shake my hand, be fake and shake my hand towards you after when 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 we beat Jordan and them, because he mentioned that Jordan shook our hands, but we weren't talking down on Jordan. We didn't say Jordan was bad for the game or they doing this or Jordan is selfish or whatever. Zeke gave Jordan props plenty of times saying he's the greatest. Like we knew what we had to do when we went up against Jordan. So yeah, man, kill all that noise. Kill all that. I ain't go, I ain't about to sit here and laugh and shake, not laugh, but like dap you up after you talking shit game before y'all about to sweep us you know what i'm saying like if you wouldn't have said nothing to me and i'm speaking for me personally if you wouldn't have said nothing about that i would adapt you up yo good shit you whipped our ass you know good luck on your first nba finals bet cool but you talking shit to me and, and degrading my name fuck that i i ain't letting you i ain't gonna i ain't gonna, I ain't gonna let that fly yeah they the, the for, for whatever reason well i won't say whatever reason but the pistons during that time they were just they were hated, and they literally were the 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 evil guys in the NBA. No, we were black. That's what we was. <laughs> Laker, Lakers and Celtics was the was the darlings, the the classical music and shit. And then when the Pistons came, we was fucking public enemy. That's what we was. And, and, and yeah, probably but, white media or white America wasn't ready for that because they was they was looking at the darlings of Magic and Bird and. Oh, here come Jordan, fly, sky, and then yeah. us interrupting. Oh, Scott, well, see, John Sally said that shit so perfect in that in the in the in the episode, man. It's like 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 they love every minute of it. Like the fact that you got these darlings of the NBA and then here come bad boys just coming in, disrupting all that shit, wanting back to back titles, man. I and the thing that, that and they were talking so much shit like in the documentary. It's like you you guys got them when they were on their way down. Like you didn't beat them in their prime. Isaiah had a uh, his wrist was messed up. You know, if you watch the bad at Bad Boys documentary, you know there was some other issues going on. Right. You know, with the team at that point. Right. Just like the, the Detroit Pistons got the Celtics when their run was over. It, That's it, just the way it happens. It's just the way it happens. That's it. That's all, man. But yeah. without them, they wouldn't. Have, they wouldn't even be who they were. Jordan wouldn't hit the locker room like that. Pippen was Pippen. That migraine Pippen had, that was fear. That, that was, was fear. Anxiety. <laughs> he would, he would, he had, that was fear because Robin was on his ass that entire series. He was scared fear. of shit. Yeah. And, it, and anxiety and stuff, manifesting stuff physically. He was so physically, like, taken out, mentally taken out of the game and so scared of the moment that he got physically sick with the mic. This, this Negro talking about he was seeing double on the field. Right. <laughs> what the you seeing 10 players on the court right now that's wearing a, a pissed uniform. <laughs> Did you see Jordan's face even till this day? He was like, you could tell he was like, man, that was some bullshit. Like, you was like, he just said he was scared. Because you see, when they was in the huddle, Jordan was like, where's Scotty and, uh, and the other dude, uh, BJ? He was like, where's Scotty and BJ? Scotty was, he was so scared. He was staying in the locker room to the last minute. And I think that they also put that in there to kind of, Again, prop up Jordan. Like I think Jordan's mindset is like we would have won that game seven if Scotty wasn't scared. He felt that way. Yeah, he he felt that way. And and, and Mr. G Nugget, you're right, man. The Celtics were dirty as shit. And, but the media, the basketball wasn't really covered a lot the way it was 
when Jordan was on the come up because the game was growing at that time. But yo, them motherfuckers were dirty too. That's why I, I didn't man, like everybody, them. Everybody, man, uh, 75 to 80, Ken, y'all can attest to this. 75 to 80% of the teams was physical, was physical and dirty. That's the way the game was played. Like, the only reason why the Pistons was spotlighted is because when the media called us bad boys, we were like, all right, fuck it. That's what we are. We are the bad boys. Okay, we just lived, we just, we just lived up to the name. And then it just, it, and then the media just panned it. Okay, bad boys. It's like Detroit was the only team that played physical in the 80s. Milwaukee, shit, even Boston, like Kevin McHale and, and Robert Parrish. Y'all ain't gonna say shit about how fucking physical they used to play. You kidding me? Um, Mil- I said Milwaukee already. Um, um, Portland was physical as hell. Fucking Kevin Duckworth and Buck Williams. Come on, man, kill that noise. Uh, 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 Char- shit, Bulls even had Charles Oakley. He was like the enforcer. He was a physical guy. But yep. nobody said nothing about that. Everybody pointed at Pistons, Pistons, Pistons. Everybody, Pistons, only physical team in the NBA. Bullshit. That whole era was physical, man. You had to be physical. The Philadelphia 76ers, they was physical as hell. Like, man, come on. People just. The Knicks people. became really physical. You said uh, what? The the Heat were physical too. I mean, come on. What, Everybody like, adopted that that mindset. Even everybody, the Bulls, exactly. Even the, the Bulls New- were the same damn way. Exactly. Even the New York Knicks of the nineties, the Patrick Ewans, when they had Anthony Mason, Charles Oakley, that was they were Xavier McDaniel. They were physical. They was they they blueprinted off the Pistons. So it's just like that whole era was 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 number physical. It was man. You had to be a man to come down low. And if they are knocking your ass. Even the ref will look at you sometimes and be like, well, he told you not to come down there. Knock you on your ass. Like, that's how the game was played back then. So it's not only just the Pistons. Yeah, if you go look at – just go to basketball reference, man, and just look at the the Pistons' heyday, man, when they were on, on top of the game. Like, the Bulls could not beat them. Like, it's it's all there. These are the facts. It's you facts. Know, and you can look at it when, when, when the Pistons, especially during that two-run – the Bulls, man, like they took so many L's, like during the regular season. I think they didn't beat them uh, at all that year until the playoffs. They were the only team to beat them twice in the playoffs. I don't think I think that was the first two times they beat them that year. Yep. When when y'all talk about like how the media covered the Pistons, do you think that kind of translates to how they're looked at as far as all time? Because when you look, which I, which I just ran down as far as the teams they played the the, the Hall of Famers that they played, like they took down the the Lakers in their prime still, or when they were still winning titles. They took down the Celtics. They took down uh, the up and coming Bulls. Like they, those are like all great resume builders for any team to be worthy of a top five, top eight all time. But I don't hear the bad boys get talked about like that. Maybe Isaiah as a as a point guard for his individual individual position, but as a collective. No one ever say, man, Bad Boys Pistons, they were probably about top eight all-time team. They're, they're, they're normally, from what list I've seen, when they list, like, top ten NBA teams of all time, the Pistons is normally, like, that nine or ten. They normally ranked in the top ten. They, they always rank there. But, yeah, I mean, people always overlook them because they're not looked at as the media sweethearts. They, they're not pretty. They're not flashy enough. All you, had, you had Zeke and you had Goons, pretty much. It was Zeke and Goons. And their run wasn't that long. When you look at Boston, uh, the Lakers, Chicago, like their runs were longer than the Pistons' runs. So I think that's kind of what holds them back. If the Pistons run, you mean like run by like championships or just being a a being in the finals? Being in the finals. Okay. So like, if the Pistons went to like, let's say, in seven years they went to five finals, that's different. 
then you got to elevate that team. Even if they only would have still only won two, you would elevate that team. But what was their run? B was like three years or two? They, years? they went to three straight finals. Yeah, three straight three finals, finals won two of them, and they went to the East Finals. Um, because they lost to the Lakers finals in ninety one. Yeah, if they lost the Lakers in eighty eight. Mm-hmm. Damn that, which was crazy. That could have been our championship if that phantom call on Beer Land Beer wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And then we we swept them in '89 and took care of Portland in '90. And mm-hmm. yeah, and then we got swept in the Eastern Conference Finals in '91. So yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of that's a, that's a run. That's that's definitely a run. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like for me, when the Lakers were dominant in the Celtics, it was just those two teams, really, in my opinion. But for for the Pistons to be like how B said or like how they described in the documentary, so disruptive for all this shit. Like, yeah, all the NBA darlings did not like them and always didn't even want to go to Detroit. Like, you want to just skip that in the map on the map. They always do. For them to be that dominant or to be that fearful without stars outside Isaiah, even though I you could give credit to Joe Dumars as well. Like to me, that says a lot. But like Isaiah said though. When they when they listed the top at the in '96 when they listed the top 50 greatest players in the NBA, Isaiah looking around and like yeah you see Magic with Worthy you see you see Jordan and Scotty, you know you see all these other great players with their teammates. Where are my teammates? Like he pretty much showing like look I'm great without Hall of Famer top 50 greatest players and I still won back to back championships. So holla at me like he popping my collar that shit like yo holla at me like for real. I love that shit. Isaiah Thomas is, is, I feel like he's he's disrespected. I feel like he's not given the proper uh, credit and respect that he's due. They talk about Magic. They talk about Bird. They talk about Jordan. They don't talk about, don't about Isaiah Z- Thomas. Nope. And it, it needs to stop and it needs to change. This man beat all of them in their prime. Exactly. And, and he doesn't get credit for them. That Detroit team don't get credit for Doug daily like one of the great one of the great coaches like right none of them do and you know it's 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 insulting and you know and i i don't i don't know why i don't know it's not like isaiah isn't in the spotlight you know he he's on a, a nightly basketball program he comes on first take regularly you know but as but he's not afraid to fight back and he will correct you, and he will also uh, make sure you get your facts right if you watch him on these programs when you try to uh, paint a certain narrative like he did on First Take today exactly. when Max tried to try to uh, paint a picture about him. Um, but Isaiah, man, like, I don't think people really know, man. Like, it, people really need to do their research and see how bad this dude was. Like, yeah. he is the truth, and he needs some respect. Yeah, speaking of, I'm going to go back a little bit of the documentary. You're talking about respect. Does Doug Collins get the respect that he deserves as a coach of Michael Jordan? Because that is a very good question. And I didn't realize the impact that he had, at least I didn't know at the time, the impact that he had on Jordan's professional career. Um, you know, and, the, and I, I didn't even know they were that tight. But, you know, seeing them detail that out and – the, the things that Doug Collins did when he took over um, pointed that out to me because I had no idea. So I, I think he does need to to get more respect. He just couldn't get them, you know, like over the hump. Like he was he, – he's their Mark Jackson 
basically. Mm. Look, 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 and, and I always have this theory, man, like there's different types of coaches and you have to have that type of coach at whatever part of the process you're in. And what Doug Collins was for the Bulls was extrapolating maximum potential from Michael Jordan. Oh, this is what you do good. I'm going to put you in position to maximize what you do well. But as a team, as a championship level coach, that just wasn't what he was. He was the dev- the individual dev- developmental type of coach. Okay, this is what you do. We're going to put you in positions to be great, to do this, to do that, to do this, to do that. And then you, we also saw kind of how Jerry Krause, and, and, and look, we got, we got to give a lot of props to Jerry Krause too, because he yeah. was fine. Um, even though, you know, the personal stuff, I think is what got in the way of the business stuff. Um, in terms of business, he was one of the best GMs at the time. I um, mean, he ident- pre-identified Tex Winter, went and got Phil Jackson, added him to the roster and was grooming him and let Doug Collins do his thing until the point where it was like, okay, we need to make this change, you know? But um, I, 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 I knew just growing up in Chicago, obviously I was, I, Everybody I talked to about the documentary, I was like, look, I always knew about Jordan and the Bulls and all of that because I was born and raised in Chicago. But I was born in 84, and I didn't really start understanding basketball until 90 when he started winning. So everything prior, I had to go back as I got older. So I knew that Doug Collins and MJ was was tight, but obviously I didn't know to the level that the documentary showed, you Mm -hmm. know. But it makes sense, you know, it, it makes sense that they were close because I think that that was the first NBA coach that took, um, elevated Jordan, helped elevate him, you know what I'm saying, ran plays for him. They didn't take the ball out of his hand like Dean Smith did and stuff like that. Like, hey, you go, we're going to eat, we're going to live and die through you, you know what I'm saying? So I think that any young player, um, especially when – a, a guy as maniacal as Michael Jordan, and you just unleash him? That, that's what Doug Collins did. He just unleashed MJ. We'll be back after this quick break. When you talk about Jerry Krause um, and how he put this team together, the way he treated Doug Collins, where, where, he, where he put Phil Jackson there to learn from the guy that he wanted Doug to learn from as far as that triangle offense. I forgot the, the, the guy's name. Next winner. Yeah. Do you feel like that was kind of snakish, even though it worked out, obviously, because it, it, it became a blueprint for multiple franchises, title runs. But it, it's it not felt snakey. like he kind of just he snaked his way into the position. Nah, it, it, it's snakish if you hire him without Doug Collins knowing and saying, okay, this guy's going to be on your bench starting Monday. Phil Jackson interviewed. Doug Collins liked him enough to add him to the roster. You know what I'm saying? Because here's the thing. When, when you're talking head coach and GM, we have to have a, a, a working relationship. And if I'm the GM and I tell you, hey, look, there's this assistant coach that I think will do really well. He does X, Y, Z, this, then, and the third. As a head coach, you got to listen to me. You know what I'm saying? If we bring in that assistant coach for an interview and he does really well, we got to add him. You know what I'm saying? If, if, if personalities, philosophies, all of that stuff mesh, we got to add him. We, we, it's just because it's best for the organization overall. Um, so I don't think it was snaked. It, it, it was done right in Doug Collins' face. Doug Collins agreed to it. But when you hear Krause say, like, I was cool with Phil, I, I, the first time he interviewed, he dressed like 
a hippie and he didn't get the job. So I called him again and I told him exactly what to say, how to talk to dude, what to dress like. Like, that's kind of under false pretenses, is it not? It's not. It's not because at the end of the day, when you identify talent, you want talent. And if it doesn't go right the first time, you coach that talent to get in the second time. There's nothing wrong with that. Like I said, if, if Jerry Krause would identify Phil Jackson and just put him on the bench, that's a problem. What do you think about it, Tim? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was, it was shady. Um, I, I think they – it felt like they kind of made it seem that way in the documentary. Um, but they also showed that Tets and Phil were trying to bring this system – to the Bulls and he didn't want to listen and he didn't want to adapt and good coaches, you know, good leaders, you listen to your people and then you bring all that stuff in and you utilize it, you know, that, that that's best suited for the team. And they don't, I mean, can you fault them because they had gotten to the Eastern conference finals, but at the same time, he should have been more open to that. Like Steve Kerr, for example, if we go to the Golden State Warriors, they never would have won the the title that first year if Steve Kerr didn't listen to some video guy that came in with the deaf lineup. That's how the deaf lineup was invented, because Steve Kerr was trying to match them match them size for size, and they went small ball, completely changed everything. But if Steve Kerr was stubborn like Doug Collins, then you know it's possible, more than likely, highly probable that they don't even win that title because Jordan was on another level that year. I mean, not Jordan, but LeBron was on another level that year. That's not a Freudian slip, by the way. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he just he, – he just – he was stubborn, man, and he needed to kind of be more uh, receptive to those new ideas. You know what it was, Ken? Doug Collins was still a basketball player at heart and not truly a coach yet. That's mm. the reason why on the sidelines he was sweat like he was playing in the game. That's why he was so animated because young coaches bring that energy, and that's what he had. And the way he saw it as a player is how he coached, which is why he unleashed Michael. He he didn't have an overview perspective yet. And, and which is which is true. But if you look at the teams, if you look at the winning teams that were winning championships, the Celtics played as a team. The Lakers played as a team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had the pieces around it to do that. Michael Jordan was playing as Michael Jordan. So if, if Tess Winters and Phil Jackson were bringing this, this element to it that would allow them to play as a team, then why not? And because, because, because from Doug Collins' perspective, Pippen wasn't ready to take that jump. Horace Grant, all of the rest of the guys were just guys. They, they weren't ready yet. They weren't ready. They weren't ready to, all right, let's, let's you know what I'm saying, let's, let's give them even more uh, responsibility on the basketball court. They just weren't at that position. So I understand to a degree Doug Collins' apprehensiveness. Hey, we got MJ. <laughs> what, like, what are you talking about? Just give him the rock. Move the hell out the way. But at the same time, again, I, think, I, th I just think it was, a, it was a perfect storm of a lot of things. Young coach, you had literally a young bull on the team. Um, you had other young pieces that weren't ready to take those next steps right at that point. Um, it, it's just a lot of stuff. It's just a lot of stuff. And I think that that's why eventually they went to uh, Phil Jackson. And I think even Doug Collins knew. 
You know, like, and, and, and yeah. he didn't want to add no, no, no gas to the fire, but he was like, he had a sense. And the reason why he had a sense is because Phil Jackson and Tex Whitner was talking about the entire team. And yeah, you can get to the, to, to, to the last, the next to the last dance, but if you don't get to the last dance, what, what are we playing for? And, and MJ that, didn't fight for him either, did he? Huh? I said MJ didn't fight for Doug Collins either, did he? Well, they didn't. I, we don't know that. We don't know if he had a separate conversation. He I'm just said he was pissed about it. That was it. But I mean, yeah, and, and he, I also said, he also said he wasn't a fan of Phil at first. He was like, "Look, we go from a coach that puts the ball in my hand to a coach that wants to take the ball out of my hand. How do you think MJ gonna feel?" MJ, think MJ, about how that that one move changed everything. Well, everything. Yeah, everything. Basketball. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's incredible, all because of this triangle offense, but it created the point forward, which, like, if, if like LeBron is a talent, but when I saw the creation of the point forward and it got, I mean, that was obviously magic, but you got the point forward, you got but magic was a my point teammates. Guard. Huh? But magic was a point guard. There's a difference. True, 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 true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because but, um, but I don't know, I just think, like, like that, that moment, when Michael Jordan decided to trust the teammates, that John Patson game, I remember that shit. Because I remember when he was passing the ball, I was like, he's not going to keep hitting these shots. Because I didn't see many other, any, any of his teammates really hit shots consistently like that because it was always fucking Jordan. So I was like, at some point, he's going to start missing again. And he just never missed. And Jordan became such a different player when he started trusting his teammates and what that also did was it just changed the mentality of the league as well because now all of a sudden it became about making my teammates better and trusting my teammates when you saw the hero ball thing wasn't working. And a lot of people, a lot of players that came after him started to adopt that mindset as well. Yeah, I was going to ask y'all as far as like, I think that was probably the best breakdown of the triangle I've ever seen, especially for like, it was. It felt like it was just like a minute long explanation of what it is, how does it look like, and how to execute it. Did that make y'all rethink about the triangle as far as like how come we it hasn't been well um, executed nowadays? Because I know Phil tried to bring that to the Knicks, that didn't work. Is it superstar dependent? Like you need a Jordan, you need a Kobe, a Shaq. Yeah. No, because the triangle was designed so that way you don't have to have superstars. First and foremost, the reason why it doesn't work now is because the game is more fast-paced and you take a lot quicker shots without ball movement. Look at the NBA now, right? Look at the scoring, right? I don't know if you guys are paying attention to a lot of the scores. They were winning 84 to 70. Teams now score that in three quarters because they, they get up way more attempts. The pace of the game is so much faster that you can't just come down, walk the ball up, set up your offense, da 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 da, da. That, that, That's just not how basketball is played now. It's just at a way faster pace. Now, there are teams that still utilize aspects of the triangle. Golden State still utilizes aspects of the triangle, but nobody's ever from, like, modern era now, they're not going to run it full time. Yeah. It's, to make sense to the skill set of what these basketball players are bringing to the court. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took them a year to get it. They said it, it took them a year to even mm-hmm. understand how to fully utilize themselves. Mm-hmm. And I also think, it, you, you know, it, it ha- it's a complicated offense from everything that I've heard uh, the players say that it's tough for 
them to pick up and execute. So you have to have uh, high IQ players also to help run it. Yeah, I was just I, I I'm just getting blown away by this documentary. I, I really like everything they discuss. Again, Tifo, you mentioned uh, the last time we talked about it, how they go back and forth timeline-wise to explain how this affected this or how we got this mentality in the beginning. It's just been a brilliant documentary. And it's made me think about, obviously, I'm live tweeting when, this, when I'm watching it. A lot of people are saying, like, this is why he's the GOAT. This is why you should dead that LeBron James conversation as the GOAT. Do y'all agree with that, or is this more about, like, we already know this information and it doesn't really affect how I think now? Nah, I definitely think it's affecting how people think now. Um, and, and there's a couple of uh, uh, things that I need to correct, too. I'm going to say it after my soliloquy. But um, I, I, I think what we're able to truly see um, and what separates Jordan from any player to ever play the game, I think the next closest person is Russell Westbrook, um, is the mentality and the ferocity in which you attack each moment in the game. You know what I'm saying? And, and watching them, you know what I'm saying? I was a kid when I watched MJ play. I didn't, I didn't necessarily understand the psyche of what I was witnessing. I saw the moves, I saw the things that he was doing and I went and I practiced them and I added those things to my game. But because we didn't live in a social media era, because we didn't have access like this back in the eighties and nineties, kids would have never known. You know what I'm saying? And it was funny cause I was talking to my brother and you know, we played a lot of basketball growing up and oftentimes, you know, whenever I would pull up to a court, I'd always think I was the best until you start watching a couple of guys and you're like, oh, well, shit, damn, he nice. He's super nice. I might have to do X, Y, Z. But just think about it from Jordan's mentality. He never walked on to, a, to any competition, cards, golf, basketball. It don't matter. If, if it's me versus something, I'm the best. I'm going to beat you. Just like... You know, so so just to have that mentality, that's what separates Jordan from everybody. And, and the thing that I wanted to correct, you know how we always say if we had a fantasy draft of all of the NBA legends, how I would take Magic first, I would take MJ first. <laughs> I, I, I would take MJ first. Because, look, like, like the whole conversation LeBron versus MJ, I still believe as an overall basketball player, LeBron has eclipsed everybody. Physicality. IQ, passing, defense, blocking, steals, you know, um, all of that type of stuff to me, he there's certain things that LeBron does better than MJ. But on ball know, defender? Huh? As an all ball like on the ball defender? Very close. I think LeBron is a better off ball defender than MJ was on ball, but but very close, you know, especially in their primes. But I think the thing that separates them, you know, um, when MJ says that there's no I in team, but there's an I in win. When you look at LeBron and he gets teams close to winning, I'm never scared about LeBron closing it out, right? Like I, I'm, I'm always weary, like, okay, what's going to happen? With MJ, like you just had this sense of confidence watching. He's going to make this shot. He's going to do this. 
like he could always overcome. And I think that that's what separates LeBron from MJ. LeBron doesn't always overcome. He's not that dominant figure that's like, no matter what you do, no matter if you got Kawhi, Tim Duncan, all of these guys, like he's still going to overcome that. LeBron doesn't always do that. LeBron now, he, he, he's overcome a lot. And that's the reason why he's in the conversation with MJ. But when you just compare those two guys, MJ's going to win. LeBron's not. LeBron's going to play the right way. That's the difference. This is a good marketing tool from, for MJ um, for a lot of young people that um, engage. Buy the shoes and don't even know what the hell it is. Uh, I was going to mention. It's a great marketing tool for MJ because all of these kids buy the shoes, but they don't understand the reason why they buy the shoes. Well, if you look at the documentary, they make sure they show you every shoe that he was wearing, like Jordan shoe during the time. Like it's like off to the side, but you can see like, oh, those are the ones. Those are the six. Those, yeah. Because <laughs> when when people watch basketball, and and a lot of people even now still probably haven't seen Jordan play, but the the story they're telling, the things that they're picking out, which are true and highlighting, um, will influence decision making for Jordan to for them to tell. The story of Jordan telling Doug Collins, I'm not going to let you lose your first game as a coach. That adds to the lore of MJ. So there are all these little things that speaks to the mental side of Jordan that he just goes out and do because he's just psychotic that way. With, with, with LeBron, like when people watch the game and they see him play, they see this, this extremely talented guy that – is an extremely great player and probably is more than likely a better player overall than, than Jordan. But Jordan had a certain dogma about him, uh, this mythical essence to him that, you know, supersedes everything, going 6-0, um, you know, uh, finding reasons, telling, telling uh, the reporters, I took care of you, I took care of you, and I'm going to take care of you tonight. Those things, we don't have those stories of LeBron. And, and of course, LeBron has lost finals. So Jordan was just made to be like a god among us, honestly. Like every, to, to being the only guy in his family that sits six, that's over six feet. The only one out of his family to go through the things that he went through. He was born and breeded for this. And there's no other way to put it. And that's what this is doing for me. I watched it. I'm just and, – and lived through it. And sometimes that's what – and then it's not LeBron that I think about. You know who else I'm thinking about? I look at certain mannerisms that Jordan do. I think about Kobe. I think about that too. And, and as good as Kobe was, he still is not as psychotic as Jordan was. Nope. I look at KD. KD could have been the closest thing to him. But he doesn't have this as well. Nope. There's just something about this guy and his will to win that you just cannot create. It's upstairs, Ken. Upstairs is what separates MJ from every other person. Yep. I don't, and we're not going to see that. Like, you don't think we'll ever see that again from a player? Not today. I asked myself that question. Because would Jordan, like, Jordan, would Jordan have lost a 3 1 lead to the Golden State Warriors? No. Nope. With, with, with Westbrook, absolutely not. He would have found a way to win that game. That's the difference between MJ and Kevin Durant and LeBron and all these other players. He ain't going to lose, pretty much. He will find, not a 3-1 lead. You know, and Kobe lost a 3-1 lead. 
MJ wouldn't have lost that. MJ wouldn't have quit on his team in, in that game seven to prove a point like Kobe did. Yeah, I just think that you keep on saying uh, the, the mythology or whatever. I just think that it, it's, it's more just facts. Like, and it's, and it's a confidence, but it's a fact. Because, like, when he went up to Doug Collins and said, bruh, they were down in the fourth quarter. I think by and – and then Doug said he scored the last 10. But before he did that, he's looking at his coach and saying, bruh, I got you. Don't even worry about it. He gave him a cup of water and said, chill the fuck out. Like, he went and executed. Like, who, who – like, I don't know a guy, like y'all said, like, that talented that can do that and just say, it, say things and they, and they just happen. That game where he, I'm sure they're going to get to it when he was playing against the Portland Trailblazers and he's just shooting all these threes and people saying he can't really shoot threes like that. And it's just like he, like anything you say he can't do, he's going to do it. Or he'll even tell you himself before you said he can't do it. You know, um, I, and, and I know I'm going a little bit ahead in the documentary. So, you know, over here at Dead in Sports, man, we, we, we have a plug. You know, we'll, the source will name, will rename, will be named unnamed. Um, but going a little bit forward into the documentary, um, I, I think out of everything that I've seen so far, um, BJ Armstrong explains this. And I think this puts it into a window that we can kind of understand what greatness means. And BJ said, once MJ figured out um, how to play a game within the game, the basketball game was was already too easy. He was playing at an elevated level, meaning that Jordan was finding ways on how to impact um, tempo, how, how, to, how to control everything that's happening in the game. It wasn't just scoring anymore. Once he, it, it's kind of like Neo reading the Matrix, right? Yeah. That with great players now, LeBron has that. There, there's times that LeBron controls the entire game. But you know what the difference is? Is that when... Even though you're controlling the entire game, everything's going and, 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 you, and you feel everything that's happening, there's still going to come, or sometimes there's going to come a point in time you still may be down for, you know what I'm saying, with a minute and a half to go, what do you do? And in that, every player that we see, they fold under that pressure. Or if they don't fold in that pressure, they're not great enough to get you to that point. Kyrie, right? We know, to me, one of the clutchest players I've ever seen play the game. But he can't get you to that point of that clutch moment. He, he, can, he can execute in the clutch moment, but he can't get you to that moment. LeBron can get you to that moment, oftentimes doesn't, doesn't make the individual play to overcome everything that happened in the game. He's going to try to play the right way. KD, not always that clutch when the when the when the chips are stacked against them, he falters. You know what I'm saying? Name me another player. Clyde Clyde isn't that guy. Charles Barkley wasn't that guy. There's there has not been another player outside of MJ to be able to overcome that. There just hasn't. To overcome what? I'm sorry, FIFA. I was just saying, like, um, you know, I was saying how, you know, we, we've, we've been lucky over here at Dennis Sports to see a little bit more than what ESPN has been able to um, put out in the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. but when BJ Armstrong talked about MJ just playing at a different level and being able to play games within the game, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it just kind of – I said it was like Neo watching The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. And there's other players that we've seen since MJ play at that level. We've seen mm -hmm. LeBron 
control every aspect of the game. But the difference is, is that players that are clutch enough to make that last shot like Kyrie or Dane aren't always good enough to get you to that clutch moment, mm-hmm. right? Like controlling the entire game to get you to that moment and then overcome that, right? Like somebody's always devoid of something. Like LeBron can get you to that point and he's going to make the right basketball play, but he doesn't take it upon himself to make sure, to ensure we're not going to lose. Yeah. The only person that's been able to do that is MJ. To get you to that point and then say, hey, everybody move the hell out of the way. Just give me the ball and we're not going to lose. think Kobe kind of picked up on that a little bit too, maybe? Close, but, but it still wasn't at MJ's level. Mm-hmm. I, I, I put it to you like this. Kobe had the fearlessness that MJ had, yeah. but he didn't have the same type of clutch ability that MJ had. And I think I want to say didn't Phil Jackson kind of talked about that in his book. I didn't. Re- I never read his book yet or anything, but I, I, I thought Phil Jackson touched on that before about comparing them two, the difference between coaching, you know, Kobe and MJ or whatever. Yeah, yeah I, I read, read that book and I can't remember. I mean, it was it, there was a there was an excerpt in there. I forgot the exact what his exact words were. But it was something like, yeah, MJ's better, pretty much. Yeah. Well, the the stats bear that out, too. Um, But, yeah, but MJ never had a shot. (laughs) But, but yeah, man, like, that's why, you know, as a person that grew up watching it and not liking it, by the way, I always want to make sure I put that in mind because he beat all my favorite players on teams. but when I see guys that could come close, when I see like Kevin Durant, for instance, that can score and at will, you know, from anywhere on the court. Um, but when I see him go to the line and miss two free throws, you know, <laughs> when he was with OKC, right. you know, when I see that, when I see him shoot poorly in the game seven and in multiple games to lose a three one lead and then go to the other team, those are the things that that disappoint me as a as an old school guy, you know, watching this and. You know, and that's why I become frustrated with LeBron. That's why I, I, and a lot of people say Dwayne Wade's 2006 was the closest thing you'll see to Jordan, um, you know, ever, because it was it was true. It was a representation, but he could, he only did that once, yep. you know. <laughs> so, will there be another guy? I don't know. I do know that a lot of people are quiet. Like LeBron has been extremely quiet. I haven't seen anything him say anything. So I, uh, AD, I haven't seen. Well, he don't talk a lot either. Um, but I'm wondering, as the NBA is in a recess right now and they're watching this, who is going to come out of this even more motivated than before? Because if, be if as huh, it has to be LeBron because he's the only guy in the conversation with Mike, and he knows that. But is the conversation though really? Yes. Yeah. He's, player that that can even that you can even put in the same plateau as Michael Jordan. I think that's great within itself, Nick. Like even though players like me is gonna push back and probably say say no or you have guys on J Force that looks beyond uh just the six and old record. But there has been no other player in history to ever challenge MJ for that title. I, I people don't really take that into consideration the way that I do, but that alone is an incredible accomplishment. Hold on. Talking about a, Kobe existed. 
That's all I'm asking, like, because I, I think, I don't know if me and B agreed on this point, but B, you can correct me, but we always talk, I've always talked about, like, why do people overstep over Kobe and just say it's just MJ and LeBron? Couple reasons. <laughs> Couple reasons. I'll answer them right now. Kobe said, without MJ, there would be no me. All of the other greatest players in NBA history have all had a unique game. Kobe was the first not to. He was a carbon copy of MJ. Am I lying? Nope. Mostly MJ, but he stole a lot of other people's moves too. Who? Like he trained with Hakeem. He, right. uh, he no, that's not the same. But when he was when he got older and he said I need to go in the post, no, that's but, what he did. But 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 that's but everything that Kobe did outside of young Kobe's crossover, which was AI, right? Like everything outside of that was MJ. He tried to he said, Okay, this is what it means to be the greatest. I'm gonna I'm gonna be that. I'm gonna be exactly that. He wasn't a unique player, right? In in, in terms of play style. His play style was MJ 2.0, which you know, people can hold that against him or not against him. It is what it is. He's the only NBA superstar to not have his own unique game. Number two, he wasn't always the man on his team. Michael Jordan, from the moment he stepped on the Chicago Bulls basketball court, he was the man. LeBron, from the moment he stepped on the NBA basketball court, he was the man. Kobe wasn't. Kobe. What about what about Magic? Magic was the man. When he when he first got to the league, he was the man on the Lakers. Yeah. Over Kareem. Bruh, look, if it wasn't for Magic, they wouldn't have won that championship. Yeah. Rookie year. Rookie year, played all five positions because Kareem yeah. was out with injury. He was the man. And he just after coming after coming out from winning the NCAA championship the year before. <laughs> and he just throw him into the world and he wins the championship playing all five positions. He was the man. Those those two things to me hold Kobe back. You know, when I look at Anthony Davis, there's another guy that has all that talent but don't have the, the the mentality. And I remember when, you know, they were trying to push and market Anthony Davis as the next guy. It was funny because when they were when I think Isaiah was talking about MJ and and I think Magic, they were talking about how it was clear to them that MJ was the guy they wanted to win, but they wanted to make sure that he didn't win so they would be overshadowed or something along those lines. Um, that's just an aside. To get back to what FIFA was saying, it's not just the game that he stole from Mike. It was the way he walked. It was the way he talked. It was the way he stuck his tongue out. It was the way he celebrated. It was every single thing that he stole. And growing up, when Kobe came on the scene as a young fan, as a young fan of the NBA and watching that and watching him not be original, I held that against him. And I know some other people around me held that against him uh, as well. It wasn't a knock on his talent or what he was able to do, but we were like, oh, man, you just out here trying to be like MJ. It, it was just like, it was hard to respect for me. Really? I just, I mean, I, I understand exactly what y'all saying, and I get it. It's just, I don't know, I guess I care about more results than, like, the method to the madness. But I do understand. I like, I like what Kobe said about Jordan, though. They keep showing this clip. I think when he was on the Knuckleheads podcast, when, he, when it was his first time facing off against Jordan, and, and Kobe was like, they were like, oh, you're going to get Jordan. He was like, 
all right, cool. Like, I want to see what this, I want to see what Jordan is about. Like, I, y'all keep hailing him as like the black Jesus and stuff. Like, I've been a fan watching him my whole life. I want to see what, I want to see what the smoke is about. So, <laughs> I think that's dope <laughs> as a competitor. To, like, yeah, say, yeah, like, I, I do too. So and, and, but the results, Nick, were not all his until Shaq left. And that goes into one of other Nick's, uh, FIFO's points. Um, it, it was, it was Shaq. <laughs> so it wasn't just Shaq though. If you look at those, if you look at Shaq's Shaq numbers in those finals, I mean, granted, in the 2000 finals when Shaq fouled out in game one, I think it was game one or game two, when uh Kobe was you know doing this, like telling him to calm down because Kobe kind of took over, you know, after Shaq fouled out. But if you look at Shaq's numbers, that was clearly Shaq. I mean, the Shaq, the team ran through Shaq. Exactly, Kobe was pimping, bro. It was an inside-out game. It wasn't an outside. It wasn't an outside-in game. Yeah, yeah. They was Shaq was clearly putting that team on his shoulders, man. Like during those that that three-peat, that the, the three-peat Lakers. And, and, and that's why I mean it's documented. He said it. Everybody said it. It's, it's reported everywhere. That's why you know he wanted to he wanted to leave because every people like me and everybody alike. I will give Kobe credit for coming through. We all knew that it was all Shaq. Everybody said he ain't got the three final MVPs for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, Kobe wasn't. Kobe was a fan favorite, but he wasn't a man the way back back then. The way he eventually became, which is why Kobe, which is why Kobe wanted Shaq to work just as hard as him, so they could have won like about eight nine a month. You know what I'm saying? Like that's we knew Shaq was. That was Shaq's team. Man. Shaq, Shaq was a, was a scary figure down that block, man. That paint. Yeah, I, I guess I uh, I wanted to touch on one more thing uh, to to kind of wrap it up. But like we can, I think you mentioned earlier as far as like MJ was getting for his last year that KD type of treatment. As far as where are you going? Are you retiring? Are you going to lead the Bulls? What, what's what's the case? I. I'm watching his composure throughout all those questions, and he's just the same type of guy, Melo. He said, I'm going to give you the same answer that I'm giving you guys this whole season, even probably beforehand in the summer. Have we ever seen a superstar? Like, nowadays, we saw Dennis Rodman blow up at the media during the same time, too, with with similar questions as far as his future and his role on the team. Have we ever seen another guy at that level, superstar level, have that same composure? You got to think, you got to, this got to come into play though, Nick. Like media today, I mean, media back then is nowhere near what it is today. I think it would have been interesting to see how Jordan would have handled social media. Like if we would, if, if, if Jordan was playing right now in his prime and him going through the Chicago Bulls, like what they going through now in this day and era, I, I don't, he probably would have had because you got more voices. You got more voices, more outlets, more voices, more outlets. You got more cameras. It's not just the voices. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Cameras. That's what I'm saying. Just media in general. You got you got so much, so much. The man. stuff that MJ was doing when there were no cameras. Right. Like when he went to Atlantic City and all of this type of stuff and all of this. The stuff that he got scrutinized later would have got scrutinized instantly. Yeah. Oh, it's two in the morning. Why MJ at the at the casino? on social media and his agent would have been hitting him up right there, like five minutes into him walking into that casino. Yes. He didn't have to deal with that. Yeah. That's why he did. I mean, it was easier to keep your composure back then, you know, 
when you didn't have all the, all the different types of medias just yep. on you. So I, I that happened in the dark would stay in the dark for the most part. Yeah. Or at least the details wouldn't come out. Yeah. Yeah. Now I mean, we look, and even with that shit now, you with the media we have now, even some of the details are starting to come out 30 years later. You know what I'm saying? So just just imagine if that shit was amplified back then. Well, the way them fools was wilding out back then. I put it to you like this. Just think about it. We live in an age now where players find out that they get traded or mm-hmm. cut on social media. Before right. their agent could get to them, before the team could talk to them, they find out on social media, on their Twitter. Yep. I would say, I mean, I, the only person I can think of is LeBron. I mean, you know, he, he's a master at media and controlling the narrative and not giving people more uh, ammo um, to write more stories. Um, you know, KD obviously exploded. We've seen, you know, at times. But before this new version of KD, I thought he was really good at it as well. But Oklahoma protected them a lot uh, from themselves. So the media um, in, in that city uh, controlled a lot of access um, that was going on at, at the time. But I will say Wait, What about D-Wade? I think I've, I've seen D-Wade handle himself very well in the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but he, he he's never been a guy that had a lot, a lot of cameras, like, in his, in his face until, like, the Heatles moment. Um, maybe a little bit after 2006 when they won, but that was it. But I'll say I'll say that um, – well, I, I'll save this thought for I don't know. I'll say it now, and I'll, I'll re- revisit it. This documentary, Jordan's decision to do this documentary, he saw that LeBron was threatening his legacy. This release is him pulling that back and getting more control of being the goat. Because he was losing it for a minute. Pulling the receipts. He wanted to pull the receipts out. Yep. He, he wanted to let everybody know. Yeah. It, it's based because think about think about it like this, right? Yeah. We see LeBron on the tail end of his career, so yeah. he only has so much more track left to run. Mm-hmm. So he know that his odds of winning the championship are slim to catch him. So because right. of that, to drop this now in those receipts. You can change a lot of people's uh, thoughts on this instantly, especially yeah. young cats that never seen this guy. It, it's, it's, it's brilliant. No, 100%. And I think the timing, even with Corona, is, is even crazier because you've got guys like Trey Young that, you know, idolized Kobe and, mm-hmm. and understood that, you know, Kobe took a lot from MJ and this, that, and the third. And, you know, um, even Trey says, man, after watching this, I got to put MJ first. You know what I'm saying? So he's not going to be the only young star that didn't watch MJ, but obviously knows the history of MJ to watch this and be like, okay, yeah, MJ's the greatest. He's not going to be the only one. And then what that's going to do is that that's going to impact others other uh, uh, draft classes, other young players. So for the next, I would say, five to six draft classes, they're going to know MJ was the guy. He's and dead in the conversation, that- man. It's, it's, it's brilliant. He's winning again. Yeah. Off the court. Yeah. <laughs> Off the court. His, 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 the one person that threatened him was LeBron. Yeah. And without even taking a step on the court is when it's about to win this. 
Because think about this. What, what would you think, say, if the Rona didn't get crazy and we still have NBA playoffs and everything, and say LeBron won a championship this year, what do you think – what would you think people, the media, everybody would be saying then if, if LeBron wins a championship? He better than MJ. Yeah, they would say we won for three different franchises. He was the best player in all those championship runs. He's ran the, the league for, what, damn near 20 years now? Like – they will say he's the goat. You yeah. said before, or after this documentary. At, well, yeah, right. I'm just saying, like, so say like if LeBron won, say the again. documentary never came out of LeBron won. Well, no, 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 no. So the documentary was scheduled to come out like a little bit after the finals, NBA, around the NBA finals, right? Okay. So say LeBron, they won a championship. Lakers won. Bam, LeBron, LeBron got his fourth ring, or whatever, as a, as a Western Conference player. And you know, like, what do you think the narrative would have been from the media, LeBron, oh, yeah. as as this Jordan documentary is coming on? I, I here here's the thing. I I think that a lot of what's happening would have still happened. Obviously, yeah. um, I think the difference is is that we would have just shifted the conversation of Le- LeBron is the best to do it as long as he's done it. Nobody was able to do what he's doing at the year he's doing it. Right, um, at the level that he's doing it, yeah. MJ's the overall goat, but shit. How, how did I just I, uh, 36? LeBron's gonna be 36 this year. Who, who at 35, 36 is doing what LeBron's doing? So, I, I think that if LeBron was to win and then this documentary come out a little later, it LeBron would, 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 would be able to maintain the margin. You know what I'm saying? Of the distance between him and MJ. It wouldn't have widened. Right now, because LeBron is not playing, out of sight, out of mind, you know how the brain mm-hmm. works. MJ is winning. He's widening margin. that margin to the point where it's like LeBron can't do nothing about it. Even if he wins the championship now, the damage to LeBron's legacy through this documentary has been done. Yep. The young people that heralded LeBron as the greatest, Kobe as the second greatest, or vice versa, however they want to see it, they're going to overwhelmingly put MJ now there. And it's not it, There's even dudes can age that still think LeBron is the greatest. And we've seen on Twitter all the time that he says that LeBron is the GOAT no matter what. He, he is not giving that GOAT status to MJ. Yeah, some people are going to be like that. Huh? Some people are going to be like that. Some, some, yeah. some people are still going to put MJ there. I mean, uh, LeBron. LeBron, yeah. And, and I get it. Like I said, I think in terms of checking abilities, right? Like if we were going through NBA 2K, all these abilities, LeBron has higher ratings and certain abilities that MJ does. I think overall he's the greatest skillful player and athletically freakish player to ever play a game. But he ain't, he, he's not maniacal. That's what that's the difference. That's the difference. Yeah, Jordan, crazy man. He's literally crazy. Like, like, and, and I know I'm 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 fast forwarding a little bit um in the doc. But they said don't be spoiling anything. You know what I'm saying? I was like, keep spoiling the load. Yeah, don't no spoiling the people because we got the luxury, baby. We got the luxury. Don't no spoil it, people. I'm not spoiling. But MJ one time when it was on the airplane, you know him and all of the black players would be in the back of the uh, airplane and they will be playing cards for, you know, thousand, $10,000 hand and stuff like that. Right. Man, yeah. all of the white players will Purdue, Steve Kerr, they will play dollar games in the front of the airplane. And, you know, MJ came to the front and was like, hey, what y'all doing? And everybody looking at MJ like, 
we doing what y'all doing, but we playing for a dollar. He's like, and, and, and one of them was like, well, why do you want to play over here? And he says, because I want to be able to say that I got your dollar in my pocket. Mm. That's just how he is, bro. Yeah. LeBron ain't like that. LeBron will yeah. still be chilling in the back with the homies. Yeah, Jordan, Jordan is crazy, man. Jordan is is nuts. LeBron will play uh, for to see who's gonna be in his new uh, Space Jam movie. That's, <laughs> he'll be playing for roles. But I, I don't know. I, I I I'm loving the conversation. I'm loving uh, this is as far as going through this Corona shit. This is probably like every Sunday is now highly anticipated. Like I I I love that we have what. We've gone up to episode four, so we have what six, three more weeks left? Yeah, th- yeah, yeah. Episode four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yep. Yeah, three more weeks left, um, and hopefully we'll even get more discussions out of it. But yeah, I, this walk down memory lane is, is just beautiful. Yeah, I'm just tired of the whole MJ and LeBron goat conversation. It's just so tiresome now at this point. It's like just enjoy both both of them for both of their eras. They're not going to play each other. We're not going to see no 2016 Cavs versus the 91 Bulls. Just I'm sick of this the goat conversation. I'm sick of it. I'm so it's so crazy because I I I don't watch Undisputed, but I do check like the rundown every day. Yeah, because this thing has dropped they find a way to bring lebron in every time man every single time man like they haven't they found a way to uh, it's 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 ridiculous man it it is it's really ridiculous i mean and just on that and on twitter it just it's just like we we really still arguing this y'all like stop yeah to me to me again like this, this documentary it just cemented for me that nobody's going to be as crazy as MJ was. And the way that culture and society is now, it's not going to breed nobody else like that. And like I said earlier, I think Russell Westbrook is the only person that I see that plays with that level of anger and ferocity. No days off. No No, days off. The the way they talk about Jordan, no days off, man, I wish players had that mentality. Like, there's somebody that's never seen me play ball before that's coming to see me play, and I'm making sure I'm putting on the show. Yeah, like, I just pulled it up today. These fools, one of their topics, how will LeBron have fared against the bad boy Pistons? What? Like, he would be, what? LeBron would be just fine. LeBron would be all right. He would be, LeBron would handle the, he would be okay. Just, because people, people forget, man. Like, okay, yeah, you, you, you can, you can be physical. You, you tell me you giving someone that six, eight, about 270, 280, the range to knock you on your ass? I think LeBron would be all right in that sense. I mean, come on, y'all. Like, for people to say that LeBron wouldn't make it or he wouldn't know how to handle the Pistons, I think if you turn a motherfucker into a bully like, with that size, he would be just fine. That, that, and B, I'm 100% with you. That's asinine. Because here, here, here's the thing. So right. me and one of my partners, we, we, we was talking. Let me look this up. And, and I was telling them, uh-huh. like, you know, there's generational guys that I think could play in any era, right? And I think that LeBron, his mentality is shaped based off of the culture and the era he came up in. If you transplant him earlier on and he understands that that level of physicality is part of basketball and he has that physical body, what do you think is going to happen? He's going to play that style of basketball. Right, exactly. Dude, that is scary, you giving a 6'8", 270, 280 dude a muscle, the free range to be as physical as you want to be. 
I could go drop my shoulder and dunk right through you. Like, like LeBron, LeBron would be just right. fine. He would be just fine in 1989. Do you think Pippen would have been able to uh, slow him down? Even though Magic was on the tail of his career, because that was his last season when when yeah. the Bulls beat him. But remember yeah. how Pippen uh, picked up Magic half court. Magic, mm-hmm. Ma- Magic at that point against LeBron. Magic at that point was nowhere as athletic as yep. fast as Magic. I mean, yeah, I, I could have guarded that old Magic full court at that at, at, at Pippen's age. You know what I'm saying? At Pippen's age and size. That's why they ran through him like that. Yeah, <laughs> and LeBron would have been like, it would have definitely been a moment where they looked over like, Coach, what the fuck? What the fuck? Like, can you imagine if, if Kevin Durant was was morphing back to 1984? Man, what he's doing? They'd have been looking at coach like, what? What the fuck is this coach like? What? But can't now. I'm not saying that like other players wouldn't be busting Kevin Durant's ass because they were skillful enough to do that. Mm-hmm. But let's act like stop saying that these that these freak of nature athletes that we see in now wouldn't handle the '80s and you know the early the, the old school joints, man. Like, come on, especially if you're giving them free range to get physical. Can you imagine Dwight Howard? You give Dwight Howard the free range to throw one of them elbows to somebody? Mm. Come on. Like, Shaq, Shaq would have been more dominant back then than he was now. He would have been Will. Yep. Oh, man, I would love my dad to be here, said because he would have disagreed. He would disagree with the Will part. But he would have he said, my dad would have said, Will would have definitely got his, but Shaq would have got his too. Like, yeah. it wouldn't have been like no. Yeah, one-sided. Yeah, it wouldn't have been one-sided. But, but, but it Ken, definitely would have been a battle. It definitely been bad. Uh, to answer your question, Ken, would Scottie Pippen hinder uh, LeBron James? And I think the answer is yes. I don't think he would have shut him down just because LeBron smart. He's a smart defender. He's a yeah, smart defender. defender quick, fast, long. Uh, but he, he, Pippen never had the physicality LeBron had. So LeBron could still use that to his advantage. And the fact that the, th- the the reason why I say LeBron is so unstoppable is like a point guard. I always talk about point guards. It doesn't matter if I score five points in a game. I could still have been very a very dominant point guard scoring five points. LeBron has that ability where, yeah, you can hold him to an unfavorable shooting percentage. But what did he do to impact that game? Yeah. on a holistic level. And I don't think nobody in the history of basketball would have been able to slow down LeBron to the point where you made him a non-factor overall. LeBron was going to impact the game somehow, some way. Defense, yeah, last down, thing I'll say, I, I think – oh, my bad. Yeah, last hmm. thing I'll say uh, is that Boston used to get in LeBron head a lot. Same way Detroit got in MJ's head and Pippen's head and all them – everybody's head. You know, it was it is he had to get past the bullies and yeah, Boston caused LeBron to leave. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, and that sorry ass organization that got Antoine Jameson instead of Amari Stoudemire. Right. Yeah. That's true too. I don't want to keep a prime Amari Stoudemire. Right. I don't want to keep prolonging the conversation, but that was the same point that I made uh to my homie as well. Like you know, because he was trying to hold the fact that LeBron has jumped around so much and he thinks it's better for players to stay in one place. But I said, look, man, in all honesty, that first Cleveland run, that was the organization's fault why LeBron left. Because you didn't build a winner around him. LeBron proved that you should build around me the second year. 
just like Jerry Krause started to do. They didn't do that. They, they didn't do that to the best of their ability. So LeBron had to go elsewhere to, to, to learn how to win. See, because think about it. MJ learned how to win through constant progression, constant coaching, constant failures. You know, LeBron didn't have that. LeBron literally had to jump ship to go to an organization that had championship aspirations, championship knowledge, not only from the guy up top, but D-Wade. You know what I'm saying? Like, like MJ had the, had the luxury of having a GM that was so in tune that said, let me go get him Pippen. Let me go get uh, Horace. Let me go get Tex Winter. Let me go get... Phil Jackson, let me fire this coach and bring it. You know what I'm saying? Like that continual progression is what allowed MJ to grow in one organization where LeBron didn't have that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, that's, that's all I got for, for the topics and stuff. But yeah, this, uh, I can't wait for the next episodes. No, hey, hey, Ken, when they was talking about the, uh, could LeBron, you know, handle the Pistons? You know who was the heaviest player on that team, the weight-wise? Who? Horn. Actually, it was Bill Ambeer, but the weight was 245 pounds, dude. <laughs> that was the heaviest That was the heaviest person on the Pistons that 1988-89 roster. The heaviest. Bill Ambeer was 6'11 and 245. Rick Mahorn was 6'10 and 240. Hey, 80-50. Uh, Magic was not still in his prime. Uh, he was still very, very good. So you can finish second in MVP in, in, in voting, but not be in your prime. What are you talking about? Magic. Uh, somebody said Magic was still in his prime in 91. He wasn't in his prime. I, I think, nah, he wasn't in his prime. He, he retired the year after. <laughs> right. I mean, it was for well, obvious reasons. I'll say Jordan did too. Jordan, <laughs> Jordan retired a lot too. Yeah, nah. But oh well. Anyway, uh, we appreciate you guys showing up, man. We're um, gonna get out of here. Uh, we got some other stuff to do later on this evening, so we'll catch you guys next time. We out. Peace. Peace. Peace.